This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction. This is your source for the latest technology trends shaping the world, along with tips and strategies for maximizing your career in tech. We also bring you interviews with the leading women in the tech industry, talk to youth who are rapidly building their tech knowledge, and review business solutions that will give you insights on how technology is solving business problems. Now, here's your host, Jennifer Didier. Welcome, and thank you for joining me on Tech in the Right Direction. I'm your host, Jennifer Didier, President and CEO of Directions Training. Each week, we talk with industry experts about technology trends that are emerging and changing businesses today, the career journey of IT professionals, understanding the world of women in tech, as well as talking to our youth that are rapidly building their technology skill sets. We also review case studies that provide insight into how technology is solving business and world problems. I'm excited about our guest today, so let's get moving in the right direction. This week in our Women in Technology segment, I will be talking with Sarah Haggard. Sarah is a proven business leader who has led multiple startup initiatives within her decade-long career in product marketing at Microsoft. Raising $40 million to scale her last business, expert in P&L management, enterprise software, and go-to-market strategy, Sarah's tenacity and drive for results led to her being widely recognized as a turnaround expert and new business incubator. Sarah's leadership style is engaging and authentic. Her superpower is her ability to spot patterns, create high-performing teams, and activate the right people at the right time to deliver results. Sarah holds a master's degree in business administration from Seattle University and a bachelor's of arts in anthropology and business administration from Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you, I'm excited to be here. So excited to have you. Um, Can you share with us a little bit about your career path in technology? Yes, I would love to. So I actually ended up in technology a little bit by accident. Um, I actually began my career as a social scientist, uh, studied anthropology, thought I would go change the world kind of one person at a time. Mm -hmm. um, And then, you know, realized in that pursuit that um, it would be wise to go into the business world to, you know, really uh, be able to affect change at just a higher level, uh, you know, g- going out and gaining kind of that money, influence, and power that I think we need to be able to affect societal change at a mm-hmm. macro level. Um, and so I, you know, I ended up um, early on, you know, shifting my focus into business and joined Microsoft at 24, and spent over a decade uh, there at Microsoft and working in various product marketing roles. And really found, uh, again, kind of by accident, that I really have this love for technology and how it solves, you know, big societal problems that we have today. That's great. Um, that's interesting um, how you've influenced uh, business through technology, because now business um, technology is not driving business. Business is driving technology. So uh, learning 
the business outcomes at Microsoft has really helped you grow your career path, which is really, really interesting. So did you always know that working with technology, I know you said it was an accident, but when did you really connect and say, wow, I love technology. This is this is what I want to do. <laughs> what was that spark? What was that moment? I, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head, which is that the business today is really driving the technology agenda, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember famously telling my parents who were both technologists, you know, at, at an early age that I was never going to work with computers. <laughs> I was going to work with people, you know, and, and it was I don't even know what brought that on, except for I thought, you know, as kids do, we have to follow our parents' footsteps, you know, mm -hmm. and I was adamant that I wasn't going to do that um, because it just computers felt, you know, in, inhuman in some way. And I wasn't I didn't want any part of that. And, you know, fast forward, technology is a people business today and it is a business driven business. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I just loved that. Um, I could I could dig into a media problem I wanted to solve and I could reverse engineer the technology that we needed to prioritize to solve that problem. And I got to do that several times over my career at Microsoft and realized I'm kind of good at this. <laughs> so right. uh, maybe this is for me after all. That's great. Um, I know you are ready to launch a an amazing app uh, this month. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so about 18 months ago, uh, January of 2018, I had this spark that, um, you know, for me as a woman in technology, uh, after spending a decade at Microsoft and having many different assigned mentors to me throughout that period, uh, you know, mentorship to me always felt so necessary and needed, but so uncomfortable and awkward at the same time. And I was really just sort of uh, there was a time in my career where I was really struggling and, and looking for a female mentor, and I just didn't know even where to look or where to begin. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, about 18 months ago, I said, you know, this this is strange. We've got the technology today to be able to make mentorship more accessible and efficient and effective, um, but where is it? And so I ended up uh, creating an app uh, called Tribute. And so we're a modern mentorship uh, application, mobile-first app. Um, that helps employees connect on shared life experiences. So we help people um, kind of get out of this paradigm of mentorship always has to start with our professional goals or our resumes and says, nope, we can take a more human-centric approach to mentorship, helping people connect in a more authentic, easy way. But we can pair that with technology that makes it more accessible uh, for all. And so that. Uh, that was about 18 months ago. I just left Microsoft full-time a couple months ago, and now I'm uh, leading Tribute uh, full-time. That's amazing. Um, so can you share with me a little bit about what those shared experiences are? So how do people connect? Because I think this is such an important part of what you're doing to kind of bring that human uh, side into technology. So. Tell me a little bit about, you know, how relationships are formed outside of technology and then how how does it relate and how are you connecting the dots? Yeah, so, you know, one of my observations early on in my um, early on in my life, and I think what drove me to even the pursuit of, you know, an anthropology degree and, and a curiosity into social sciences has always been watching how and why humans connect. Right. Why do we connect and where do we disconnect? 
and I found through my own life experience and you know connections that I've made uh, you know in that time is that we we tend to sort of gravitate towards uh, what we know uh, which can be good and bad uh, but we also when we're connecting with other people you know and you'll notice this now in your own interactions the next time you send an intro email to somebody you'll you'll connect dots naturally you'll say oh you went to this college or hey you both grew up in the Midwest or hey mm -hmm. you both uh, started your career in retail but then made the leap to technology right like you, you find these little connections that we have uh, or shared life experiences as we call them in tribute um, and and that's how humans tend to connect and so for me it was quite obvious that what we were missing in mentorship was this this initial connection moment before we get to the task of mentorship and so some of the examples of shared life experiences within tribute that you can seek mentorship around are things like um, you know I feel like I'm the only woman in the room or I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'm coming back to work mm -hmm. for the first time or I'm learning how to navigate difficult conversations. I'm having trouble with a difficult boss or coworker. Right? These are real lived experiences that people are going through, that are seeking mentorship around. And then we and then somehow we go from there to putting our resumes in front of each other and now you're my mentor. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well wait a minute, shouldn't we <laughs> back up and actually acknowledge what it is that you're seeking mentorship on and find somebody who's kind of lived that experience, uh, gone through it, and has the wisdom to share back with you how they were able to navigate that. And so that's where we start. With that's that's amazing. And, you know, I think back to anytime we struggle with something, we think we're alone, right? So building this community, sharing those stories, sharing that experience, and knowing there are other people who are feeling that way, makes you just connect with them and say, okay, what do I do? What did you do? How did you get there? So that's that's just amazing. Um, as a woman in the technology field, what are some of the challenges that you've faced? Um, you know, you've been at Microsoft for 10 years and now you're starting a technology solution um, to help people uh, on mentorship. What are some of the challenges that you've uh, experienced as a woman moving down these paths? Yeah, that's a uh, a great question. I um, and I and I just pause because it's like, where do I go with this? Yes, <laughs> you know, we all like, have. Yeah, where do we I all go have with experiences but, on that? You know, I think, and, and I did. I thought about this, you know, in, in preparation for this conversation. And, and honestly, what I come back to is a couple of things. I think, you know, in my lifetime, I've seen technology go from uber complex and very ex elusive and exclusive to something that's very accessible today and i think by nature of that you know more women are being included in an opportunity to influence and impact technology but i do think um you know some of the challenges that i faced um, externally is that i think that there's still this belief you know when a woman walks in the room versus when a man walks in that a man is just sort of anointed uh, as a technologist, whereas women have to prove ourselves a little bit more. Yeah. I think that there's that feeling, I think internally, maybe partly due to that external factor, you know, women struggle a little bit more with imposter syndrome. And mm -hmm. that's something that we, you know, dealing with our inner critic, um, you know, and really squashing that is is something that has been a challenge for me, you know, because I didn't go and com study computer science. So how dare I 
say I'm a technologist. Well, mm-hmm. you know, kind of going back to our earlier point, with technology becoming a people business and with the business driving the technology agenda more and more, I don't have to have a computer science degree to be a technologist, to be somebody who's driving the technology agenda. And I think for me, that revelation has really helped me overcome the challenge of my own mind saying, you know, I don't deserve to be here. Yeah, I think the confidence, building our own confidence um, sometimes is more than half the battle, right? If we come in being confident and saying, yes, we can do that, and then prove that we have the skills to do it uh, is so critical to our success. So I think you hit the nail on the head where, you know, some of the challenges are internal. Your internal critic is telling you, no, you're not qualified or you don't have that degree. Uh, But really, we have so many business skills, collaboration skills, uh, empathy, all of those things that are so critical to success of any business project that we have a lot to offer. Absolutely. So, Sarah, do you feel that women have the same opportunities as men today in the tech world? You know, I think it's getting a lot better um, in my lifetime, as I've seen, and, and just even the focus and encouragement of more women in STEM careers. Um, but I would say that um, the true measure of equality for women in the workplace um, you know, in the technology industry or any industry really comes down to, you know, are we able to work in a way that's compatible with the way we work, right? The way women fundamentally operate and the seasons of our life, right? Whether that's um, having children, whether mm-hmm. that's going through menopause, which, you know, is something we've never talked about right. in the right. workplace, you know, but it's so important, you know, uh, for women because, um, You know, I think we have the same opportunities in terms of, you know, can we get the job? Um, Can we do the work? Uh, Can we be recognized, rewarded for it? I mean, you know, there's places where you could say there's absolute equity there. But overall, at the macro level, I don't think we're going to have, I don't think women are going to have the same opportunities as men until, um, you know, culturally uh, we're allowed to, you know, bring our, our authentic full selves to work and we're able to go on maternity leave and have our jobs be there when we get back, um, you know, but to be able to um, have the support that a woman needs to complement um, her work uh, that, that truth be told, men have never needed before. <laughs> and so, you know, the world is just sort of keeping on, keeping on, you know, uh, and not really acknowledging that women at different seasons and, and periods of her life are going to need different levels of support in the workplace. And I think until we really create that workplace, um, you know, women won't have that same equity and equality as men. I completely agree. Um, I think, you know, women have different life cycles, different responsibilities. Um, and until those responsibilities are equaled, we're always going to have the challenge because somehow, um, you know, we are always responsible for the children. It's not a equal, you know, the dad and the mom have the same kind of responsibilities. It's yeah. automatically assumed the woman's going to take the child to the doctor or, you know, uh, the woman can't travel because she has kids. But you know, in a man's world, we don't think that way. They just get up and go if they need to travel or uh, they don't think they need to take 
the child to the doctor. So I think if we start to um, level set the expectations of who does what and equally divide that, um, mm -hmm. we still you know, have a long way to go, I think, with that. I 100% agree. And I think on that, even, you know, I'm seeing articles now where, you know, men are getting greater paternity leave and, you know, we're seeing changing rooms in men's bathrooms. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's both, right? We need to create, uh, you know, there's dads out there that want to take parental leave and go spend time with their sure. kids and take them to the doctor. And so I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, you know, the answer to that question is just such a cultural transformation that we need to go on that not only levels the roles that women and men play, you know, at, at home and in work, but that creates companies that allow that flexibility um, for women to, women and men, uh, to find that balance. And, and also, you know, kind of separate but related, but, you know, women work just so fundamentally different than men and and you know we talk about the female and the male archetype and how our thought patterns and processes work and today i still see a very male dominant way of thinking in the workplace um, beyond just you know the, the sort of male oriented roles that we play and that also needs to and i and i see it changing but that needs to uh, we need to embrace uh, more of a female archetype of way of being that's more collaborative, that's more transparent, that, you know, is more curious and asks questions and, you know, that those types of cultural, uh, you know, or, or I would say cultural changes, but being accepted for that way of working, I think when we're able to do that, then women are going to have the same opportunities as men in the tech industry and well beyond. I completely agree. I just want to kind of share... Um one thought with you that, you know, I think it has to go back to when we're raising our children as well to raise them um, in that equal form, because um, if a boy is crying, you'll say, oh, you know, man up. You don't need to cry. It's fine. He'll be OK. If a girl is crying, you nurture her, you hug her, you're, you're like, it's not, it's not, you know, you're trying to soothe and nurture the girl. And so we raise our kids very differently. And so the expe expectations are different as we grow. And so I, I really think that, you know, showing that same responsibility for boys and girls as they're growing up and raising them that way is going to help us have more equal opportunities as well. What are your thoughts on that? I 100% I agree. And, and I think what, and I love that you brought up that example of a, a boy crying because I think many men feel uh, that they too can't bring their full authentic mm -hmm. selves to work too, right? Like if I want to uh, slow down the conversation and ask more questions, I'm perceived as weak. Mm -hmm. You know, if I want to display empathy towards another employee, I'm weak, you know, mm -hmm. and I think um, you're absolutely right that until we recognize that equality for women and men in the workplace means an equal balance and respect for the masculine and the feminine energy and archetype and what that means, um, you know, regardless of your gender, um, until we get there from parenting to, you know, in the workplace and beyond, I think we're, we're not going to see an equi equitable world. And, and so, you know, it's, I just bring that up because so many people think, oh, to solve this, we just need, need more women in tech. And I think mm -hmm. that's part of the solution, but it's not 
really, to me, addressing the more fundamental uh, root cause of that inequality. Absolutely. So very true. Um, I always, I love this saying, I, I always say um, that, you know, women, when they are expressing kindness, never to take that as weakness, because kindness is not weakness. Kindness is that empathy, um, you know, collaboration, working with everybody. It is not weakness. And so you you mentioned that, and I thought, you know, that's my quote, and it's always in my head. Please don't mistake kindness for weakness. Absolutely. It's a quiet strength. <laughs> yes. Um, so then on the other side, what advantages do you think we have as women in the technology field today? Yeah, I think, you know, um, women just, you know, I was listening to um, – Coco speak at the Women in Technology Network uh, conference this year, mm -hmm. earlier this year in, in Kansas City, and I think she said it best. She said, you know, we're in this environment today where uh, the female archetype is really what's needed to take business to the next level, right? So it's, it's traits, um, and I, I use female archetype because I think, you know, I believe that both men and women exhibit masculine and feminine traits. Right. Mm -hmm. we, 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 we do. And, but I do believe that up until this point, the more masculine traits have been rewarded in business. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, uh, and now we're in this time of transition where some of those female traits like collaboration, curiosity, transparency, empathy, um, you know, that's what we need at this time. And so mm -hmm. I think for women, the fact that we naturally exhibit more of that archetype uh, and that means that we're going to have more opportunities to step into positions of leadership and power because that's what the world needs right now and it's just a fascinating time and i'm i'm really excited to be kind of at the forefront of that because i think it's absolutely our our time <laughs> and our yes. turn to lead that's great um those soft skills are so critical so and we come innately with them that we can really demonstrate um, that we are qualified, we are, we have the skills, and then some for, you know, any of the technology projects that are out there. So what advice would you give to a woman who is considering a career in technology, either one that does not have a background in technology or the ones that are in a male-dominated industry, what can they do uh, to further themselves in their career? Yeah, I, I would say Go for it with gusto. You deserve to be there. You have a unique voice. You have a unique opinion. Um, and really what I would say is find a mentor as soon as you can, right? And it can be a female mentor. It can be a, a male mentor. But find a mentor who is going to continue to nurture that confidence in you that you do deserve to be in the room and that you do have a unique uh, point of view. The, the second thing I'll say is that it took me the better half of my 20s to understand what that unique point of view was. And so, you know, uh, developing that and understanding what it is the problem that you want to solve, what it is that you're truly passionate and what drives you um, is also something that, you know, when you have that knowledge together with a mentor and a purpose, uh, you're just unstoppable. So that's what I would say to women looking to get in technology today. 
Tell us how, um, when you found out what that passion was, what was that spark? How did you find it? Because I'm sure there's people out there saying, I don't know what my passion is. I have no mm. idea what I'm good at. You know, uh, what can they do to, you know, dig up that that passion and understand mm. it better? Uh, yeah, no, that's that's a great question as well. I didn't know that for uh, most of my life. Although now that I do know that my pa- you know my passion is really around how to create a more you know equitable, just world. Uh, I do that. Uh, through mentorship, I do that by connecting humans together because I think that that makes us all feel more like we belong. Um, and and I say that it took me most of my life to figure that out, but when I look back, the trail markers were there, right? Mm-hmm. Of the things that I chose to you know pursue and do. You know, for me, I think my best advice to someone who may be searching for what that passion or purpose is is to ask yourself one really simple question, and that's, would you do it for free? If nobody in the world paid you and, you know, and let's say you didn't need to make another dollar ever, you know, again, because I think scarcity and ideas of, oh, my gosh, I need to make money and take care of myself and get in the way a lot of, you know, what our true hearts are telling us. Um, So ask yourself, would you do it for free? And really just be curious about what are the things that um, get you amped up and get you excited and ultimately, um, you also need to spend time with that question. That's really it. I think I avoided that question for so long because I just thought, well, that's something for a later day or a later time. You know, when I buy my house, when I have my kids, when I get married, when I have my 401k, I mean, I just kept putting all these Mm -hmm. milestones, you know, that we think we have to do in a life before really sitting down with that question. And when I did that sincerely, um, I found the answer was there all along. That's so true. Yeah. And and I think that's a great question. Would you be able to do, you know, would you still love it if you did it for free? Um, And I know in my business, I'm very passionate about what I do. And, you know, the bottom line and the money comes by your passion, not the other way around. You don't get passion um, from, you know, making money. Um, it, It Obviously, you need the business to succeed and make money and be profitable and all of those things. But it comes that automatically comes when you're passionate and excited and motivated about all the right things. Like we are so obsessed about our customers and want to always do the right thing for the customer. Everything else works out. So it's it's so true. That's great advice. Um, So what three words would your friends use to describe you? (laughs) I think my friends would describe me as smart, uh, driven, certainly, and generous. Um, I kind of live my life uh, in a pay-it-forward model and have found that to be really the greatest gift uh, to myself, even, to live that way. And it's, uh, it's just a great way to live. That's great. Those are great um, descriptions of you, and I think... Um, you, you have a lot of tenacity and drive, so driven is really, really important um, characteristic of you. So they, they've kind of nailed it, nailed it and hit it on the head. So Sarah, it was such a pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stay tuned for another exciting interview just around the corner.
As your organization continues to embrace and adopt new technologies, does your team have the skills required to make the most of your investments? Directions Training offers IT professional and end-user training for the most popular solutions today, including Microsoft 365, Azure, AWS, Cisco, Citrix, VMware, and much more. Our flexible delivery methods and full customized offerings make sure that you get the training you need just the way you need it, in person, virtual, on demand, or through a blended approach. Success is a journey. Ask for directions. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com for more information today. Welcome back to Tech in the Right Direction. This week in our Tech Trends segment, I will be talking with John Nicolau. After spending eight years in the 1980s consulting at two of the world's largest companies, Amico and AT&T, the entrepreneurial bug bit, and John joined his father in a small family business during the 1990s, helping to grow it until his father's retirement in 1997. John got, got back into consulting as the technology industry was taking off, working for a well-respected Microsoft partner until the early 2000s, when the entrepreneurial bug bit again. So along with a few other colleagues, he co-founded Vantage Point Partners, which is an IT consulting firm, quickly achieving gold partner status with Microsoft, focusing on small, medium-sized businesses, in and around the Chicago area. During this time, he assisted other business colleagues in starting a similar firm in the area, eventually merging the two firms together in 2012 to form Zeland Partners. The team grew to 25 and achieved multiple gold competencies with Microsoft, continuing to serve the needs of their SMB clients. In late 2017, Sharp Business Systems noticed the success of Zeland Partners and they acquired Zeland in March of 2018. John's role has since shifted primarily to business development and he is now a regional major account executive for Zeland Partners, which is a Sharp IT company. John received his BA in chemistry from Knox College and his MBA in marketing from Quinlan School of Business at Loyola University of Chicago. He resides in the northern suburbs of Chicagoland with his wife and is a father of four adult children. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you, Jennifer. I appreciate you having me. So let's get started. Can you share with us a little bit about your career path in technology? Sure. So as you mentioned, uh, I graduated from Knox College with a degree in chemistry in the early 80s, and um, on my last semester on campus, I had to fulfill one re one more requirement in a math curriculum, and, and there was this class called computer programming, and I thought someday computers might be uh, important in our world, so on a whim, I took a basic computer programming class, and that was my first exposure to technology uh, where it was back in the early 80s, just uh, uh, crafting basic programs on a deck. PDP-11 was the machine, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so, that's, so that's how things kind of started. And then um, uh, through, through connections in my college, I uh, was afforded an opportunity for an internship at Amico Corporation. And ironically, the first assignment I had there 
was in their operations research department, which ironically was uh, their internal consulting department. And and after my first interview, I wasn't sure, you know, am I getting coffee and sweeping the floor or am I, you know, what will I be doing in this role? Mm -hmm. And it turns out that the the consultants in that department uh, consulted with the, with all the different subsidiaries of Amco Corporation, and they used uh, linear programming uh, on mainframe computers to simulate uh, projects and possible outcomes for the various subsidiaries of Amco Corporation. So as a result, I was quickly immersed in the technology world at a large, you know, Fortune 100 company. And lo and behold, one day. Uh, they wheeled this gray machine into my office, and I said, what's this? And they said, it's called a personal computer. Hmm. And, I, and it was an IBM PC, and I said, well, what am I supposed to do with it? And they said, I don't know, figure out what we can do. So uh, my father was a rep in the electronics industry, and he had some computer games. So I, I went to his house and said, you know, what do you got for me? And he gave me some computer games. I started playing games on this machine just to see how does it work. And to make a long story short, um, I eventually found a way to, to install some components in the computer to connect to the mainframe. Uh, and then everybody and their brother wanted to know what I was doing by having this thing called a personal computer connected to the mainframe and, and, and do 3279 emulation, if people remember that term, that's your typical green screen. So um, that got me uh, you know, knee-deep into consulting and, and technology started uh, using programs, the precursor to VisiCalc, then VisiCalc, then Lotus123, and you know that just grew from there. I then uh, changed jobs over to uh, AT&T, and uh, again, more exposure to technology and computers, again, the Lotus123 kind of a thing, uh, and was in a sales role. Um, at, ironically, Amico was, I was in the Amico National Account Team, did that for a number of years and learned more technology because at that stage, AT&T had finished divestiture and was getting into the computer business themselves at, this, at that time. They had bought NCR, National Cash Register, so there was a mingling of both the technology side and the long-distance side of the businesses. I was primarily on the long-distance side, but partnering with folks on the technology side. was there for a number of years, uh, and then when I left there and worked with my father, um, we were involved with various technology companies that we represented, uh, selling in the consumer electronics arena. And by that time, you know, laptops were coming out and things of that nature and distributed computing. Mm -hmm. When he retired, um, I caught on with uh, Microsoft Gold Partner, uh, well-respected here in Chicago, and learned, you know, the client-server end of the business in terms of infrastructure and things of that nature. And did that for a number of years, and that just kind of grew to the point where I wanted to get back on my own. So, as you mentioned in the introduction, partnered with a couple of business colleagues and started our own firm, and have been in technology ever since. So that's that's the somewhat Cliff Notes version of my journey through technology. That's great, John. That you know kind of reminds me back about my start into technology, and this really dates me as well. It says. You know, I started Fortran programming on punch cards, <laughs> which Just, was a long time ago. <laughs> well, ironically, my first job at Amico, there was no basic programming, so that's what I did. I did Fortran. I learned Fortran on punch cards, and you'd submit the job, mm -hmm. and then you'd have to go wait, and then somehow you'd get a notification, and you go in some room, and the report would be run. But that's how that started. And I remember the first portable computer I received. Well, I'll, I'll even date myself more. I had a Lisa, 
which was the precursor to the iMac, yeah. uh, or the Macintosh, I should say, excuse me. And I had an Apple III, then I had a Lisa, and that was at Amico. And then they gave me, after the IBM XT, they gave me a portable computer. I said, what's that? It was a compact, the first portable computer. It was the size of a good-sized suitcase with a 9-inch screen. I lugged that thing on airplanes <laughs> to Amico production sites to show people in the field how you could use technology. We wrote, we wrote programs in Compile Basic on a five and a quarter inch floppy disk on a nine inch screen and I showed people how you could write code and and be able to use technology in the field with what was called a portable computer. I oh. remember that computer yep. well where the keyboard pulled <laughs> out and right, clapped exactly. down. <laughs> and a nine inch little screen and you could That's at right. our age back in those days you could read that screen. Not now. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. How fascinating and yeah. you know look at where technology oh. has come from there. To okay. now, um, it's just unbelievable. So, what are some of the technology trends you are seeing today? You know, because you're immersed in the field, you're talking to customers, you're building solutions for them. What are you seeing as trends? Well, I often joke with clients. Uh, you know, it's all about cloud. There's so many clouds out there. You need to carry an umbrella with you. <laughs> uh, it, it, obviously, everything. To me, it's been full circle. When you think about the back in the days in the early 80s where you had this green screen with a thick cable that went into a wall and somewhere it went down to the quote-unquote data center, wherever that was. Mm -hmm. And then we migrated to distributed computing, you know, client-server, and now we're kind of coming back because now that data center is the cloud. So I think obviously that's the watchword and the, and the most talked about trend. Needless to say, security continues to be a forefront in so many people's minds because of what's going on with phishing attacks and things of that nature. I also think um, Access Anywhere has been uh, moving to the forefront simply due to our children's, you know, the millennials and post-millennials generation. These people, these workers expect to have access online, anywhere, anytime, including in an airplane. And then with that comes mobility. So if I were to say there's four trends out there that I see, it's anything cloud, uh, security, anywhere access, anytime, and mobility. Those are the trends that I see. And managed services for a company like ours. We've moved with the cloud journey and, and digital transformation. We've migrated our clients to the vast majority of them to, to some form or fashion of managed services. Very, very true. So the cloud has really changed our world and gives us that access anywhere, anytime. I know now when I travel a lot, I'm able to access my files no matter where I am at any time of the day, as long as obviously we have internet access or Wi-Fi or something, you know, with my hotspot, I could get that as well. Uh, but security is always a concern. So, um, you know, there's always going to be threats. There's all there's so much data out there now with machine learning and uh, IoT devices, as well as um, artificial intelligence. Security must be uh, top of mind for really any organization because uh, privacy and GDPR laws are, you know, really coming to fruition. And uh, I'm so glad to see that as well. Um, what what are you seeing in security? Uh, are you seeing customers really take extra protection, firewalls, those types of things? Well, I would say that the firewall is a given. I think people are well past 
understanding and appreciated the need for that. Mm-hmm. What what people are really really embracing over this last 12 to 18 months, what I see, because we focus primarily, although we have some enterprise size clients, we are most of our clients are SMB, and uh, when f- when a firm a small firm gets hacked, they're shocked. And the question usually is, why me? I'm Mm -hmm. a 10-person dental office or a 15-person manufacturing company. What does someone, you know, in Eastern Europe want with my information? And I explain to them, it's not so much what they want with your information. They want access to your infrastructure so they could use it as a relay of some sort to gain access to other machines or to send out spam email or whatever the case might be. So, you know, you can't just say, because I'm small, I'm not I'm not a vulnerable mm-hmm. to being hacked or some sort of security issue. So what we're beginning to see people embrace, and it is cost effective, is security awareness training mm-hmm. and teaching people what to look for with regard to phishing attacks. Because let's face it, they've become very sophisticated. This is the mouse mouse trap thing, and the logos they use are so realistic in the, in what they look like. Uh, when you're looking, especially at financial companies. You know, they look at the, the, the typical brand names that you know on Wall Street. They can make that email look like it's coming from your broker. Mm-hmm. And, and if, they've, if they've hacked your email and monitor it and they don't do anything for a number of months and they watch your patterns, see what kind of emails you get, they can craft a pretty compelling message that you'll click on. And the next thing you know, your network's been compromised. So we're really promoting and showing real-world examples of what preventative security awareness training proactively can do to just – because the weakest link in your security chain is your end user. And if you you don't train them what to look out for, I don't care all the firewalls and antivirus and malware protection. You can have all of it in the world. But if somebody clicks on that really good mortgage deal or great watch or piece of jewelry or whatever, then here we go. It's the wild wild west. Very, very true. And so, you know, uh, they say most security breaches are due to um, just, you know, users not not doing just the basic things, giving out their credentials, locking their computer, those types of things. So the security awareness is so important. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yep. Um, So, you know, you talked about the cloud, you're talking about mobility. And many of these job roles have not existed um, before. Many years ago, we didn't have the cloud, and so those job roles had are, weren't even there. So um, what can we do as an industry? Because there's a huge skills gap um, in the technology industry. What can we do to better bridge that gap? Well, that's a great question and funny you ask because this uh, past spring semester, uh, a business colleague and I have done two um, career days at local high schools here in the Chicagoland area, and I was um, encouraged the fact by the fact that the the school had requested technology folks to come in and promote STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, and mathematic education mm-hmm. uh, with these young students. And what was even more eye-opening through that process was that we weren't just talking to these students, these, these young high schoolers, about, you know, you get you need to be a, a certified engineer in, in this discipline or this technology. We were educating them to realize the fact that ed- technology exists in every job they're going to do, mm-hmm. even the jobs that haven't even been invented yet or that we don't even know about yet. So if you if you aren't able to wrap your brain around some level 
of STEM education, you could be at a disadvantage. Now, I will say as a caveat, you know, college and, 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 and technology education isn't for everybody. We need plumbers and electricians and, and carpenters and pipe fitters as well. There's a great shortage of those folks in our in our world today. But for those that are going to go on to college and go into business in any at any level, if they don't have some sort of semblance of understanding of technology, I think they're going to be at a disadvantage. And I don't mean by just the fact that they've got an app on their phone. They need to understand how to use these applications and you know the, the typical uh, office productivity suite of applications we're all familiar with. But there's a myriad of applications, accounting, financial, manufacturing, et cetera, they also need to know about. Secondly, I'd say that the sooner we get in and make these students aware that these technologies, A, exist, and B, we are clamoring for folks in that area and what the opportunities are for them, not only what the job looks like, but the potential income opportunity that, provide, that can be provided because some of these students are going to have some obligations to pay back after mm -hmm. they go through college. So we want to give them an opportunity on how to not only pay those back, but to be able to use those skill set to get a job and be productive in society. I, I, you know, having known you for as long as I have and, and, the, and the circles that you and I travel in here in, the, in our IT industry, I, I think every potential company, every company I talk to, they're all looking for people. They're all looking to add to their team. The mm -hmm. jobs are there. We don't have the talent to fill them. Right. So the sooner we can get these folks in the pipeline that have a genuine, sincere, authentic interest – in our areas of technology. And again, it's not just sitting down in front of a keyboard coding something. We need salespeople in this space. We need customer service people in these space. We need account managers and, and you know, a wide breadth. So there's plenty of opportunity, but they need to be able to wrap their brain around this technology, how it works, how they can use it. And let's face it, I, my last one just graduated college and, you know, when the first one went many years ago, the computer or laptop wasn't necessarily a requirement. You know, you could use a common one in the library. Now it's a given. You got to have it, and you got to mm -hmm. know how to use it. Mm -hmm. So many, many things you touched on that I completely agree. I am so glad to hear you say you're going into high schools and talking to them about the opportunity there is in the tech world, uh, because we need to start early. We need to build that pipeline so that we can bridge that gap. And you know, thank you for the work that you're doing around that. Well, and, knowing and, you. Knowing you as long as I've known you in our history, you'll be you'll be happy to know that in the two schools I did, one was an all girls school, mm. and I was I was pleasantly surprised at how many young ladies signed up to come to our session. I taught with a female business colleague, and I was really pleased to see the number of women, young ladies that came to our session because there were sessions on law enforcement and you know a bunch of other er different areas, but we had a good a good amount of, of women, young ladies come to our session, and we expressed to them the dire need to have females in those roles as well and how successful they can become if they're even remotely interested. We're, we're interested in having them. So there's an opportunity no, there. That warms my heart to hear, you know, <laughs> those girls are interested yes. and we're, we're building that pipeline from, you know, high school. So that's great. And then, you know, the other thing you touched on that I really agree with is that not all technology jobs are being a coder, right. right? You can be in the field, there's salespeople, there's uh, project managers, there's so many different jobs that, um, and one of the great things about technology is you can work from anywhere also. So there's so much opportunity and I think we have to educate people um, better in order to bridge the gap. I would agree.
Well, thank you, John. It was a pleasure well, speaking thank with you. you. Always thank good to you spend again. time with you as well. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. And now an exclusive offer for our listeners. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end-users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions. Thanks for listening to Technology in the Right Direction, your source for the latest technology trends shaping the world. To download this week's show or listen to past shows, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Past shows are also available at ewnpodcastnetwork.com, as well as through iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out how to be a guest on the show, visit directionstraining.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, we hope that technology takes your business in the right direction. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast.